Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. This week on the podcast, we have Whitney Allison, who recently won the BWR Cedar City event. I don't know about you guys, but at the beginning of 2020, we were all poised and thinking about gravel racing and looking forward to a whole new crop of athletes coming into the mix. With the pandemic, many of those athletes had to sit on the sidelines as events were few and far between. Whitney Allison was one of those athletes who was poised to make a great start in 2020, but was sidelined into 2021. Early in the season, she had a win at Cotuit and started to be on people's radar, although she deserved to be on the radar far before that. With a strong ride to fourth place at Unbound in 2021, I suppose it was no surprise that another win was right around the corner. I originally met Whitney at the Envy Grodio event earlier this year as she's a Envy sponsored rider. And it was great to finally get her on the podcast. We talk about her racing career, what brought her to gravel riding, and also the Foco Fondo that her and her husband produce in Fort Collins, Colorado. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And with that, let's dive right in. Whitney, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about your season in gravel and what's next for you. But I always like to start off by learning a little bit about how you came to the sport of cycling and ultimately how you came to riding off-road with gravel. Yeah, I found cycling after high school when I got to college. I went the collegiate route. I thought I was going to go from soccer to being a normal college student, got immediately bored and thought I'd do triathlon and I ended up going on a group ride with a cycling team and women are worth a lot of points in collegiate racing. So they like really took me under their wing and kind of showed me the ropes and like collegiate cycling is such an incredible way to get into the sport. You get to find this really unique balance of both seriousness and fun at the same time. I think it's unique to any other area of cycling right now. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, we talk about teams in cycling, but nothing really compares to the idea of a collegiate cycling team. Yeah, and you have just such a range of athletes from maybe athletes who've never participated into a sport to people who've always been in a sport or maybe even always in cycling. And you show up and you're you're unified whether you're in like the a category or when i was there they only have a's and b's for women so it it didn't matter like how good you were you were just still a very essential and important and welcome part of the team and were you riding both road and off-road at that point mostly just road i didn't really have a mountain bike i think i borrowed somebody's bike a couple of times for some mountain bike races but mostly just the road and what part of the country were you located in for college? I went to UT. So it's, I think it was just exclusively Texas for the conference, which is a plenty big state. And was it a pretty popular sport? Was it a large program that you were involved in? It was really large my first couple of years. I want to say that there were almost like 30 women competing in the 80s, which was like so rad. Like I remember my first race in the A's. Um, I didn't know how to sprint. I didn't know how to get out of the saddle and just like sprinting in saddle and like still ending up on the podium. I had no idea what was going on, which is really funny if you know me too, because I'm not really um, a sprinter. So that's extra funny. 
Did you immediately start seeing post-collegiate opportunities in the professional cycling ranks? Was that an idea that you had early on in your collegiate? I definitely had it up pretty quickly. I was also doing a lot of races in Austin at the time. I ended up getting on a development team out of Dallas that I believe it's still loosely associated with DNA Pro Cycling. But this this would have been like 2008, 2008 or 2009. And so I was able to get on this team and it had a lot of the national level, like U23 women at the time. And so that was something I was on the team as a regional rider, but immediately did really well. So I ended up with more opportunities than what was originally planned. And it was definitely like wild like looking at some of those women who had a lot of admiration for these just really talented women that who wouldn't want to be an athlete like that so i did get a race do a lot of the national stage race stuff starting my junior year of college and then in my senior year and then after that i had to get a full-time job as many professional cyclists have to do unfortunately yeah those student loans don't pay themselves (laughs) And then, so what was next for you in the cycling career? So I definitely still had, I still wanted to race professionally and do well there. I've always wanted to be an athlete. It's just something that's very much a part of my identity. So while working full-time at this office job in Fort Collins, which is where I live now, I somehow convinced my, the company owner to one, sponsor me, and two, let me go race all summer while working remotely, which had never been done. And it was to their demise because essentially as soon as I paid off my student loans, I like left. And eventually I would get a contract with Colavita in 2013 and stayed with them for, I think, four or five years until joining Superman, Hobbit's Roman Superman with my former teammate, Lily Williams, who you've talked to before for the 2018 and 2019 season. And I've heard, everything I've heard about that program is it was such a tight-knit group of women and everybody had each other's backs. It sounded like a great experience those two years. It really was. Um, You usually get some of that, I feel like, on teams, but it's very rare that you could get it across such a high percentage of the riders. So it really was like a special time. We still have a little set text thread that still gets used. Most of us are all still in touch, which is really neat. Was 2019 a planned retirement from the road scene or did something happen? I know the team obviously stopped existing, I think at that point, but what was that your trajectory or your expectation prior to that? My trajectory kind of, if we pedal back a little bit in August of 2018, I was hit by a driver with an Airstream a couple of days before Colorado Classic. And Colorado Classic is like a race I've always done really well at. I broke a bunch of bones, had PTSD, went through all sorts of therapy for that. And I was really fortunate to be on a team that was really supportive. And so they're like, of course you have a contract for next year and let us know what you need. Let us know how to support you. But it also meant like I couldn't be on social media and I'm focused on coming back with a good mind, as best physical ability as possible while still healing from injuries that will happen the rest of your life. And managing that's like really hard. And I was really proud to come back for the 2019 season, but it was really hard for me to put together performances that were as good as I was having in 2018. I did finally in 2019 with the last race of the season, I did get on the podium at Colorado Classic 
couple of days after the one year anniversary of my crash. And that was like really powerful. But unfortunately, from a professional road standpoint, it wasn't enough to find a similar contract. So it's a sad, reluctant retirement. And so I thought, what about this gravel thing? It was something that had always interested me, but I really wanted to ride that professional road wave while it was there just because those are really special times and we're getting to race in Europe and do a lot of these like iconic spring classics and things like that are just they're once in a lifetime opportunities so 2020 is going to be my big year getting into gravel and I'm still off of social media because I'm still in litigation and then the pandemic hit so that was like really isolated you're like oh and i could be a really good gravel racer but nobody has any idea yeah i feel like at the beginning of 2020 which there was all this we knew a bunch of new events were happening we knew obviously there was other professional athletes both men and women coming into the scene but none of that happened and we had no idea so when 2021 when racing actually happened for me like watching the women's scene i just saw all these names that i hadn't heard of before obviously when you do a little research that these women didn't come out of nowhere, they were incredibly talented for a number of years, but I feel like you, they were ready in 2020, but they just didn't get an opportunity to expose their skill set, which is making 2021 very exciting as a fan of women's gravel racing. Yeah, totally. I was entirely under the radar, just waiting out the pandemic. It did help a bit. Like I was able to finally settle my case and not have to go to trial, which was really, it was a huge relief in a lot of ways because I also know, unfortunately, with how our modern world works, you really have to be online. And without being able to be online and represent myself as an athlete, it was a, it was a pretty large hit in these other ways that you don't necessarily think of. So it's literally a secret for several years. So yeah, then 2021 rolls around. Did you feel like in 2020 that you had the kind of gravel skill set, the technical skill set to be successful? Or was 2020 a, a good opportunity to just spend more time on the dirt and, and really get those skills underneath? It was definitely helpful because like that was the only thing that there was to do because everything else was so depressing. It was just like spend a lot of time in the mountains. Yeah, we have lots of incredible riding, super close to us. So that, that is definitely a gift of 2020. Absolutely. And so for 2021, did you have your heart set on a, a certain series of races that you wanted to tackle throughout? I knew that given my circumstances that I would need to hit up a lot of the quote unquote, like most prestigious or most followed events in order to get my foot in the door and establish myself. I have... I was curious about Unbound. I thought that there was a chance that I could do pretty well there just based on the type of road rider I was, which is just like all power all day. But I've always been curious, like, how long does that last? Right. If you actually like try. It turns out about 12 hours. Yeah. I kicked off this season. One of my early season races was Kotuit, um, which I won in, which is in Fruita. And it's funny because I was under the radar for so long. Remember some of the feedback I was hearing was, is she even fast? Did she win by a fluke and feedback like that, which was funny. Yeah. That, is, that is the boo social media moment when you just get trolls like that coming out. 
yeah, it's it's whenever I don't really care what somebody off the couch has to say <laughs> in regards to something like that. But it's but still then, pretty funny. Like I've been here the whole time. It's just that you didn't know that. <laughs> Exactly. Hopefully, and I think this is going to be true after 2021, there's not going to be many people who follow the sport who don't know your name. Oh, we'll see. <laughs> so you followed that up with a fourth place at Unbound at a 200 mile event, which is pretty spectacular. Yeah. And that was like, I just thought I was somewhere in the top 10 when I finished because I had three flat, you know, 47 minutes of stoppage a crash with the front flat. I used like the neutral support paid service for aid stuff because we didn't have a aid support person and the person ripped my camelback apart. So I didn't have my camelback for the race after the 50 mile mark. So I rode with literal plastic water bottles in my pockets for the rest of the 200 miles. Yeah. I think it's actually a good lesson for a lot of racers that like, shit happens and you just got to roll with it along the way. And there's so many, you can be in first place and go to 10th place and vice versa with just the, the, whatever is going to happen on the course. Yeah. And I think like success in these events, it's not necessarily like, do you experience bad luck? It's more like, do you have an absence of bad luck versus having good luck? Like it, it doesn't matter. Like you could ride over the same thing as another person, but for whatever reason, the rock just hits your tire just that much different. And it's not necessarily, oh, you don't know how to choose a line or you chose a bad tire pressure. It literally just could be a tiny bit of that luck that you experience. Yeah. yeah. I talked to so many people who like throw away their favorite tire set because it failed them at Unbound. And I keep thinking to myself, it's because the person in front of you turned that rock over the wrong way. And you just happen to hit it. It's not that particular tire is terrible. I know. I fought it in the most annoying sections, which I thought was super obnoxious. I would have rather fought it in the really like pokey technical sections. But yeah, most recently, prior to recording this, you had a big victory at BWR Cedar City, which is amazing. Congratulations on that. Thanks. It was a really nice way to end my first year at gravel racing. I have to say, as a spectator on the couch, it was great. The coverage of the women's event, you felt like you were there. You got a lot of information along the way. You felt the ebb and flow between you and the other riders in the top four or five, which was great to watch. I also noted that there was a lot of technicality in it. BWR San Diego, for example, not known for being an extremely technical event, but this course was technical. I read somewhere that you were there as front with the Source Endurance team and you'd actually previewed some of those technical sections. Yeah, I was actually there as a camp instructor for the course I hadn't seen yet. And that was actually really helpful. Like I got to see all but one technical section over the course of the week and even ride some of them multiple times, such as the single track section, which I mean, by the time you get to race day, when you get to the single track section, you're not really sure what you're doing because I was really cross-eyed and desperate and just trying not to like fly or crash it was like my only goal get going through there. It didn't matter if I really, made really slow or not, just as long as I didn't get delayed by either of those other two options. How would you rate it in terms of its technicality versus an unbound, for example? I thought it was significantly more technical it was i have not done a more technical race this year 
So the races I did would be like Code 2 It, Unbound. MV Grodio is not a race, but that is also quite technical. BWR, San Diego, Steamboat, Last Best Ride. And I would say like a lot of those sections in that race were really hard and a lot of really deep sand. Yeah, it was interesting. I think more so on the men's side because there was maybe a pack of a 12 or 15 together at one point, but you could see it start to become decimated in those technical sections as one rider would bobble and take out two others. And ultimately, I think half that lead group got shed by accidents and misfortune in those technical sections. A lot of times there's either one line or no lines. So if you're in a group, that would be really hard. Yeah. I'm curious to get your perspective because as, as someone who enjoys the different events around the country, I prefer the more technical events because I just think they're challenging more of a rider's full bag of tricks. As a racer at the front end of the spectrum, do you appreciate that in course design? I think it just goes into your strategy, right? When I go to think about an event, I'm looking at anything that would make a change in the race. So for a BWR Cedar City, like there is a four minute climb, and maybe it's a little bit longer, like four, eight minute climb that was about 30 miles in. And I knew that was going to be the most important part because after that was a technical descent. And so I knew as long as I could get over the top uh, or near the front, I would be okay. So I see those sort of technical things as a feature that changes the story. And you have to decide how you're going to change with the story. That's interesting. And I imagine most of the people at the front end of the race are taking the course into heavy consideration in their mindset as to how they plan their race day. Yeah, absolutely. And I am coming from a red background. I'm not a mountain biker like a lot of other people that are coming into gravel. And so for me, it's trying to figure out how do I leverage my strengths and bobble through my weaknesses in training, always trying to improve them. Right. Now, I noted that in the BWR event that the women and the men started 10, 10 minutes apart. Was that true? Mm-hmm. How did you feel like that played? Obviously, this year, there's been a lot discussed about women and men racing together. Do you prefer that type of format or are you indifferent? I think with my ability, I am more indifferent to it. I think that, for example, BWR San Diego had almost a 200 woman person women's field. And so having a separate woman start there was really amazing. Um, because it had that size and it allowed like women that are getting dropped, they're probably going to have other women to ride with. And at that particular event, you also had the uncategorized men behind you. And so then once again, you're not necessarily having an entirely lonely day. So one thing that was hard at Cedar City is that the women's field was very small. It's maybe around 50 women. So the waffle men started in front of us and then we were behind and so then you have some women that are not as strong to stay with the women's field. And now they're in London, 130 miles. And to me, that's maybe, that's probably a, a consequence of that separate start when the field isn't that large. The wafer men did catch and we had overlapping courses for about half of the day. So some of those women probably had some people to ride with. But I do think like that is a consequence that has to be considered in those circumstances. But overall, if it's a large women's field, it's super awesome to have a separate start. And if it's a small women's field or a very long distance, like unbound, 
it's nicer to have that mixed start because draftability (laughs) helps us get through the day. Yeah. Yeah. That's the interesting thing when these sort of quote unquote controversies come up, it's so much of it is getting through the day and that shared experience, whether you're riding with males or females, that's part of the joy. I realize when there's prize money on the line, there's obviously different things to consider. And I certainly fall in the category of, hey, if you're pre-planning these kind of things, that's probably a negative. But that organic, like I get to ride with someone, regardless of the category they're in, for me as a a mid-pack rider is something that I really enjoy about racing gravel. Yeah. And I think it's pretty obvious when you say it, if you come there with people that are planning on securing your results across categories that's lame but if it just happens on the road that's like totally normal right yeah exactly so it sounds like we're at the tail end of your season do you have any more events planned for i'm running one more camp so my husband zach allison and i we have our business bike sports and we run a couple of three-day camps out of fort collins and so we call them gravel graceland and we just do three totally distinct routes out of fort collins One includes a lot of single chalk, one's kind of more out east with big rollers, and the third day is like out in the mountains. So we have one of those coming up in two weeks. But otherwise, like trying to get through some of those like bucket list rides and stuff that you like really want to do all year, but it doesn't quite work out with training or schedule. And you got to get that in Colorado before the snow falls, right? Yep. I'm (laughs) checking the forecast quite frequently. In addition to the Gravel Graceland events that you just described, you've also got uh, your own gravel event. Can you talk a little bit about Foco Fondo? Yeah, Foco Fondo, the first year of it was in 2015. So it's been around for a while. It's just grown very organically, grassrootsy. It's very fun. If you've ever been to Fort Collins, like it has a really big outdoor culture that is also extremely welcoming. People are very excited to take people backcountry skiing or out on gravel bikes or mountain biking or climbing and everybody is, oh, here, let me, you can borrow this equipment if you don't have it. So Foco Fondo has a similar welcoming vibe and we have a lot of people who come to the event having never done a gravel event before. So it's their first experience. We have everything from 12 miles to 107 miles. And the 12 mile is focused on family. We donate a portion of the profits to Safe Routes to School here in Fort Collins. And they use the funds that we give them for free after-school bike clubs, mostly at socially economic disadvantaged schools in our area. They'll do other services. For families that can't afford it, they'll show up with a mechanic at an apartment complex and fix up kids' bikes because not everybody has a car to put their kid's bike in to take it to the bike shop. And just like other really thoughtful solutions that really elevate our community. And then Foco Fondo, the event itself, after the ride, we have like Rio Grande makes tacos. They're like a very large cycling staple in our community. We have live music and it's just a big party. Fun. And for riders considering it for their 2022 calendar, what month is it in and what type of terrain should they expect to be riding if they're riding the longer event? Our event date should be July 24th. Hoping I can announce that like more publicly with 100% certainty soon. The terrain is mostly pretty rolling. Um, It'll gain elevation overall for the first half 
and then it'll be pretty fast on the way back. The big toss-up every year is always the wind. Somehow this year, the riders got a tailwind around the entire, <laughs> it ran the entire course. So we're like back at home freaking out because the the top riders are going to get back before lunch was even open. But otherwise, it has a little mix of everything. There's not too much like technical sections, but there are a few spots and there's a few of those pinch points that you would, if you were going for a result there, you would really want to make some considerations in your strategy. Yeah. Sounds like a great event. So with your successes in 2021, what do you hope for in 2022? I think I have definitely learned a lot about myself in these events, different types of races. And I'm also looking forward to going back to some of the ones that I did this year, like with some of those learnings, for example, like Unbound obviously is a really great one where I just was on the comeback all day long. It's just always riding with that vengeance. I really wanted to do well at BWRC Diego with how the timing worked. It was the week before Federal Fondo. So I raced. I'm still about top 10, but I was a mess. So I'm really excited to get to go do that in May, way before that time. But yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to experience some of the similar courses or same courses, but then see that year's story. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is that type of sport that any event you do, something is going to go wrong. It's really hard to have a perfect day, whether it's misfortune or just uh, something not going your way that day. Yeah, I think it keeps a lot of us coming back to the same courses thinking, gosh, I could just do it that much better next year. Yeah, kind of a little bit of vengeance that it's just a thing with yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And for your business with your husband, any changes for next year? We just continue to run fittings and camps and experiences. Yeah, and the racing program is going to to do better as well. Like we're really fortunate, like just with having a good year. And yeah, I'm excited to share some little partners that we'll have for next year too. And it's fun too because they get to come on like through the Fogel Fondo and stuff as well. Like you get to offer a lot to the companies that work with you. That's super exciting. Well, I can't wait to hear about these announcements. I can't wait to share them, but <laughs> it's gonna be a while. Thanks so much for joining me, Whitney. I appreciate it. Thank you. Big thanks to Whitney for joining the show this week. I hope you learned a lot about her career and a little bit about her future plans for 2022. If you're following women's gravel racing, it's sure we're going to have a stacked 2022 roster of elite athletes fighting for the win at all the big events. It's going to be super exciting. Be sure to check out Whitney and her husband's Foco Fondo website. Check out for the date next year and get registered for what looks like an amazing event there in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you're looking to support the show, you can visit us at buymeacoffee.com slash the gravel ride, or also ratings and reviews are hugely important. So I appreciate everybody who's gone out of their way to provide a review for the gravel ride podcast. And finally, if you're interested in joining the ridership, our free global cycling community online. Simply visit www.theridership.com. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. Mm -hmm.